is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877 Let me tell you what the Democrat Party and Biden's strategy ultimately will be. Let me make a guess when it comes to massive spending. Just a guess. Ready, backbenchers, as they get ready to scribble? They will lower the amount, Mr. Producer, from their putative 35 trillion, which is really 5.5 trillion by a trillion or so. They'll keep in place most of the massive social engineering programs, massive expansion of the welfare state, much of the massive confiscatory tax schemes. They'll just drop the price. And their goal will be to enshrine these changes that they want to make to our country, to your life, to your income, to your private property, to your unalienable rights, and just let the debt grow. What do you think about that, Mr. Producer? You can see that happening. I can see that happening. They just want to get their foot in the door in all these massive American Marxism plans, and they'll give up on the money to some extent, because in the end they don't care anyway. Now, I'm concerned about this, because then you'll get Manchin and perhaps Cinema and others to vote for this sort of thing. They'll be able to claim that it's not as expensive as it would have been otherwise. But it is. It's just that they put it on the debit part of the, of the sheet and drive the debt even higher. If there are Republicans listening to me on Capitol Hill, I hope you'll get ready for this. I hope you'll be prepared for this. Because I think that is likely the scenario. Could be wrong, but that's the likely scenario in my head. I'm just sitting here thinking about it. Now, we've got a lot to cover tonight. I probably need five or six hours. It's one of those shows. But I want to get started. I'm very excited about digging into this. And I want to try and make this as interesting as possible. 
You've been hearing frauds, fools, and phonies from Joe Scarborough on up going on about, and not just him, the Democrats in Congress and, uh, and this Yellen, head of the Treasury Secretary, talking about how we will default on our debt if we don't raise the debt ceiling. You've heard Pelosi and her sycophants say, we're paying for the programs that Donald Trump put in place and had already spent money on. We have to make good on that. They're all liars. And every few years I have to explain this. They are all liars, so stick with me. And by the way, as a great caller from the villages last night pointed out here, the Democrats have been saying from Biden on down that this plan is already paid for. So I don't know why they're talking about raising the debt ceiling at all. It was a great point. The government will not default on the debt service. It will not default on the debt service. The Treasury Secretary is a liar. Pelosi is a liar. Mitch McConnell used to say this, and when he did, he was a liar. And I've pointed it out against Republicans and Democrats. If the government shuts down, if the debt ceiling's not raised, what continues to happen, America? The federal government continues to collect tax revenue. Whether it's federal income, individual income taxes, corporate income taxes, capital gains taxes, user fees, whatever it is, payroll deductions, they don't stop. They continue. And they amount to about $320 billion a month. That keeps coming into the federal government, debt ceiling or no debt ceiling. And I just looked it up. $44 billion, give or take, every month goes to servicing the debt. $44 billion. That leaves approximately $275 billion every single month, or $3 trillion, for the government to continue to spend. Now they say there'll be a default. Why would there be a default? There's plenty of money to service the debt. Every single month, to the tune of $44 billion. There's no default. The full faith and credit of the United States will not be violated. Now, raising the debt ceiling is a totally different thing than paying the debt service. Raising the debt ceiling is about going forward, future spending. They want to raise the debt ceiling so when they pass a budget... They have to show that it's paid for. It's paid for by actual taxes or it's paid for by debt. The budget must balance in that sense. Not a budget, not a balanced budget in our sense, but on the books. So the federal government has to borrow money because it never spends within its budget. So going forward, it needs to borrow money. That's why they want that debt ceiling to go up. Not to pay the debt service which is $45 billion a month, with $320 billion coming into the federal government every month, that's easy. And what the Democrats have told the Republicans is that we want the debt ceiling raised till December 2022 to get through the midterm elections, and we don't want a cap on it. 
Meaning whatever they choose to pass, whatever they choose to spend unilaterally, the Republicans are expected to vote to raise the debt ceiling to pay for it. And this is where McConnell and the Republicans have said, no, we're not going to do that. Why would we do that? In fact, I don't think they've ever done anything like that before. And they're saying to the Democrats, you have 50-50 in the Senate. You have a slight majority of votes in the House. You want to ram through this spending, through phony reconciliation and everything else? You do it. We're not voting for any of it. So raising the debt ceiling is about future spending, not about paying the debt service. Now, you actually have Democrats saying that what Joe Biden should do is ignore all this. What Joe Biden should do is trigger the 14th Amendment. Trigger the 14th Amendment? Well, the fourth clause of the 14th Amendment says the following. Remember, these are the post-Civil War amendments. So this was passed to address the debt after the Civil War. The validity of the public debt of the United States, authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. So in other words, the debt that was accumulated by the Union. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States, in other words, the Confederacy, or any claim for the loss or emancipation of any slave, But all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void. So the debt for the Union, that is the United States at that point, must be honored. And that is the first payment that is to be made before all other payments are to be made. Okay? The payments for the debt service, the payment for pensions, and so forth. So what the Democrats are saying, some of them, like James Clyburn, he says it every three years because he's a constitutional illiterate. They're saying what Biden should do is say, I am raising the debt limit myself. Because it is unconstitutional not to pay the debt service that we incurred. Now I just explained to you that there's plenty of money to pay the debt service. It's a little over 10%, maybe 13, 14% of the monthly revenues that come in. So this would be utterly illegitimate. They're just hoping you're stupid. And when you listen to the media, this can get very complicated, but it's not. So as a practical matter, there's no reason to trigger the 14th Amendment. As a constitutional matter, this has nothing to do with paying forward. And the President of the United States has absolutely no constitutional power to assume and seize the power of Congress. Now, what's the power of Congress? Stay with me. Simple. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1. The Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. Then there's Article 1, Section 8, Clause 2. The Congress shall have the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Probably the most core and fundamental power of Congress is the power of the purse. 
The president doesn't have the power under the 14th Amendment to say, hey, I'm in charge of the power of the purse. I'm in charge of paying. That would be an insurrection, if you will. That would be treason. A complete destruction of our constitutional order. Because then you can see what could flow from that. A president could unilaterally raise taxes and say, look, I've got to pay the debt service under the 14th Amendment. I'm raising the income tax. I don't give a damn what Congress does. Now, that power has never been contemplated by anybody except the modern-day American Marxist Democrat Party. They keep talking about this, the way they talk about packing the Supreme Court, the way they talk about ending the filibuster rule, the way they talk about eliminating the Electoral College unless they win, the way they talk about undermining our immigration laws and deportations and all the rest. They do not believe in law and order. They believe in their own power. So there will be, there will be no default on the debt. The full faith and credit of the United States will not be violated. So what happens? Well, by statute, there are certain payments that occur after the debt service is paid, that 40-some billion dollars every month. Social Security is paid. Medicare is paid. Pensions to federal employees are paid. Medicaid is paid. And there's some other programs in there as well. So whatever's left, you see, then Congress has to prioritize what programs it's going to fund or how much it's going to fund in these programs based on the income Congress, that is the government, actually receives. This is what they do not want to do. This is what they do not want to do. So, Mr. Producer, have I explained this in a fairly clear way? I hope everybody now understands. We've got to go out there and kill this bill. There will not be a, a default on the debt service unless the President of the United States and the Secretary of the Treasury wants there to be. That is, they refuse to pay the debt service, for which there is an enormous amount of money to pay. It'll be they who violate the full faith and credit of the Constitution if the debt service isn't paid. It'll be they who violate, in an egregious way, the United States Constitution if they try to seize power that belongs to Congress under Article I. But as I said at the opening of this program, my suspicion is that what the Democrats want to do is they'll come down on that 3.5, which is really 5.5 trillion, try to enshrine as many of these programs and policies, these radical, hate America, American Marxist policies as they can, and just won't worry about funding them. They'll just do it through debt. They hope. Unless the Republicans hold firm. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? 
This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. There are huge tax increases in this apparently proposed bill targeting the poor and the lower middle class. Uh, As explained in the Free Beacon, a great site, the Democrats' budget proposal relies on a $100 billion tax hike that disproportionately targets the poor, lines the pockets of organized crime and increases inequality. The plan doubles the federal tax on cigarettes which would break Joe Biden's promise to raise taxes only on those earning more than 400000 Households with an income of 35000 or less smoke at three times the rate of households with incomes of more than $100,000 a year. Richard Moranios, a 27-year veteran of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives who worked on gang violence, said a tobacco tax increase will punish vulnerable communities. You're punishing lower-income people, which the administration promised it wouldn't, he said. You're punishing the police departments that want to push towards reform. You're punishing the states or organizations that truly have the tobacco harm reduction strategy to keep it out of the hands of kids and criminals. You cannot have a healthy community that's not safe. A tobacco tax hike would put a dent in state economies that rely on tobacco production. And it goes on. And so there's actually more than this. It's more than cigarettes. Uh, There's a massive increase uh, should your children inherit property. They want to lower the cap to $3.5 million that you can give in terms of gifts or upon death to anybody and everybody. They aggregate it. So if you have a small business, you're not even that liquid. Maybe you pull down $150,000, $300,000 a year, but you keep pouring your assets into the business to grow it and sustain it and you die, and it's worth, say, $7 million a year, well, guess what? Anything over $3.5 million a year is going to be taxed at almost 50%. Mark Levin, the great one. The great one, Mark Levin. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. As most of you know, Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller is sitting in a prison right now, thrown into the brig uh, by the United States military brass. His parents, Stuart and Kathy Scheller, will be on this program next hour, so I hope you'll, you'll listen. Also, I will be on Hannity tonight. I believe it's around 9.30, 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time. I hope you'll watch. And anything else? I don't think so. Now, Betsy McCauley is a superb analyst, and she's writing in the New York Post, just so you know, billions hidden in the trillion-dollar bill to tilt election scale. 
The Democrats' $3.5 trillion social engineering bill, a.k.a. $5.5 trillion, pushed by President Biden and Nancy Pelosi, is called Build Back Better. It should be called Building a Political Scam, she writes in the New York Post. Parroting the 2,500 pages are numerous billion-dollar grants to unnamed community organizations for vague purposes like promoting community engagement, providing support and advice, and creating equitable civic infrastructure. This is what they're doing with your money. Translation, your taxpayer dollars will fund the payrolls of left-wing advocacy groups between elections. In return, they become the campaign army staffing phone banks, harvesting ballots, and escorting people to the polls on election day. This is what they've done, ladies and gentlemen. They have fused the powers of government with the needs and wants of the Democrat Party. Like I say over and over and over again. They want allegiance, support, resources for the Democrat Party. They help with the country. The Build Back Better bill is pouring tens of billions of dollars, an unprecedented amount, into community organizations. That's because congressional Democrats failed to ramp through the two voting bills, H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, that would change election rules to favor their party. Build Back Better is the party's best shot at gaining an electoral advantage. The bill not only bankrolls nonprofit community organizations, it enhances their clout by allowing them to hand out billions of dollars in seed money for local business startups. In a new twist, the Small Business Administration is distributing huge sums to nonprofits that will serve as incubators, quote unquote, dispersing funding to startup businesses in, quote, underserved, unquote, areas. Curiously, the SBA already has regional offices across America to help startups and could distribute the funds itself, but instead is empowering nonprofits by making them the middlemen. 90% of startups fail. There is no riskier place to put taxpayer money, yet the bill establishes no standards for which businesses get the funding, except that they have to be majority-owned by members of underrepresented communities, including residents of high-poverty areas and formerly incarcerated. One thing they can't have is a track record. If they've been in business five years... They're ineligible. From an economic point of view, it's taxpayer money down a rat hole. Clearly the goal is political, though. It's vote buying. All in all, nonprofits are eligible for as much as $90 billion to support their own activities or disseminate to pals under this bill. Almost equivalent to the entire budget of the state of Florida. Historically, political machines that doled out benefits in exchange for votes were local. As in the 19th century, Boston, New York, Kansas City. All there is to it, explained Kansas City boss James Pendergrass, is doing things for people, then later on they'll do things for you. The community organizer became president. Barack Obama was a master at machine politics. The Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, outsourced the important job of health plan enrollment to community organizations handsomely funding them and entrusting them to register people to vote at the same time. Obamacare turned community organizations into a fifth estate with government funding but without government rules. Now Build Back Better is funding an even wider array of organizations. It allocates a whopping $5.7 billion for, quote, community-led projects to stabilize neighborhoods, transition, translation, rallies, and legal action to stop gentrification and so-called displacement. There's another $5 billion for climate justice block grants to pay community organizations for, among other things, quote, 
facilitating engagement or disadvantaged communities in state and federal processes. Translation, organizing protests and demanding seats on zoning boards. Hundreds of millions of dollars target the higher mortality rates for black women giving birth. But even on such a serious issue, the bill requires community-based organizations get priority over accredited medical centers, teaching hospitals, and schools of nursing. Politics. First. For every left-wing community organization, there's a grant in Build Back Better. The causes range from growing and diversifying the doula workforce to anti-discrimination and bias training. Republicans used to laugh about Obama's work experience as a community organizer. But if Build Back Better is passed, Democrats will have the last laugh, shoveling big money into leftist community groups to tilt the scale against a fair two-party system. You got that, repubes on the Hill? Any Democrat who votes for this, the phony moderates in Republican-leaning districts or in purple districts, they need to be thrown out. And just so you know, Every single Democrat minutes ago voted to increase the debt ceiling to December 16, 2022 to accommodate the trillions and trillions of dollars in this farcical, fraudulent bill. Every damn one of them voted for it. Don't forget it. Like when Gottheimer goes back. That's his name, right? Gottheimer in northern Jersey and the rest of them. You know, I'm part of the can-do, wannabe uh, committee here. Well, we're trying to... They're frauds. They're rat finks. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving and grooving. As our friend Marvin says. So I watched part of the hearing in the House today. And uh, the chairman... What was his name? Adam Smith? Not the real Adam Smith of fraud. What a schmuck. Every time somebody finished speaking, Mr. Producer and I were talking about he had to comment on it. The Democrats, it's, you know, Trump, Trump, Trump. But what was clear to me, abundantly clear to me, is that these generals, and that includes Austin, he was a general, they all regrouped. And they changed their strategy. They weren't going to change their testimony, but they were going to say the loss, the collapse of the government and the military in Afghanistan really all began with Trump and the deal he made. Did you notice that, Mr. Producer? They got together. They got their marching orders from the White House. These are extraordinarily political generals. All damn three of them. And a disaster. And a disaster. So now that, well, you know, when, uh, when Trump announced this deal and all, you know, the Taliban started taking various provinces and so forth. This is why they all, they all stink. But I was very, very impressed with Matt Gates at the House hearing today. And uh, those of you who weren't able to watch or hear and so forth, I want you to listen to this. Cut one, go. February 26, 2020, House Armed Services Committee, General Mark Milley. We know we're not going to defeat the Taliban militarily, and they're not going to defeat the government of Afghanistan militarily. You really blew that call, didn't you, General? I believe that that was an issue of strategic stalemate, and that if we had remained in Afghanistan uh, with the advisory levels of effort, then the government of Afghanistan... Well, that's, that's an interesting Afghan answer to a question. Forces. It's just not one I asked. You spent more time with Bob Woodward on this book than you spent analyzing 
the very likely prospect that the Afghanistan government was going to fall immediately to the Taliban, didn't you? Not even close, Congressman. Oh, really? Because you said right after Kabul fell that no one could have anticipated the immediate fall of the Ghani government. When did you become aware that Joe Biden tried to get Ghani to lie about the conditions in Afghanistan? He did that in July. Did you know that right away? I'm not aware of what President Biden You're not aware of the phone call that Biden had with Ghani where he said, whether it is true or not, we want you to go out there and paint a rosy picture of what's going on in Afghanistan. You're the chief military advisor to the president. You said that the Taliban was not going to defeat the government of Afghanistan militarily, which, by the way, they cut through him like a hot knife through butter. And then the president tries to get Ghani to lie. When did you become aware of that attempt? Well, there's two things there, Congressman, if, if I may. One is what I said was the situation was stalemate. And if we kept advisors with there, the government of Afghanistan and the army would have still been there. That's what I said. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But it seems wrong now. With well, the we withdraw all the, the question we would Secretary, all the Austin. Secretary Austin, are you capable of assessing whether another has the will to fight? No, we're not. And uh, that's the point that the chairman made earlier. So. That's just like an incredibly disappointing thing for the Secretary of Defense to simply say, I can't assess whether someone has the will to fight, but it is consistent with your record. I mean, during the Obama administration, I think they gave you about $48 million to go train up some folks in Syria to go take on the Assad government, and I think your testimony was that only four or five survived first contact with the enemy. So what confidence should this committee have in you or should the country have in you when you've now confessed to us, and whether it's the swing and a miss in Afghanistan that General Milley talked to the Senate about yesterday, total failure, or whether it was your failures in Syria, you don't seem capable to look at a fighting force and determine whether or not they have the will. Well, Is recall, that an embarrassing thing? You recall, Congressman, that uh, the end result was a, a, uh, uh, the SDF that we stood up that was very, very instrumental in turning the, the, the tide of, uh, of, of battle up in Syria. Oh, yeah. Turn, turned it so much. You've got Assad in power in Syria. You've got the Taliban in power in Afghanistan. I mean... Where have you been? The focus was the focus was ISIS, Congressman, and we and, and those forces uh, had significant uh, effect on on the well, ISIS it, network. It just seems like you're chronically bad at this, and you have admitted that, I guess, which is to your credit. Cut to when people in the military, like Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, stand up and demand accountability. When they say that you all screwed up, when they point out that General Milley's statement that the tal- you know that, that the government of Afghanistan is not going to get defeated by the Taliban. Well, he ends up in the brig. And you all end up in front of us, and your former employer Raytheon ends up with a lot of money, and we have poured cash and blood and credibility into a Ghani government that was a mirage. It fell immediately. And while the guy sitting next to you was off, you know, talking to Phil Rucker and was off doing his thing with Bob Woodward, we were buying into the big lie. The big lie that this, that this was ever going to be successful and that we could ever rely on the Afghanistan government for anything at all. You know, General Milley, you kind of gave up the game earlier when you said you wanted to address elements of your personal conduct that were in question. We're not questioning your personal conduct. We're questioning in your official capacity going and undermining the chain of command, which is obviously what you did. You, you've created this whole chain, did of, the chain of command in yeah, the manner did. they performed. You absolutely Congress. did. And it, did not. Well, you know what? You said yesterday that you weren't going to resign when senators asked you this question. And I believe that you guys probably won't resign. You seem to be 
very happy failing up over there. But if we didn't have a president that was so addled, you all would be fired because that is what you deserve. You have let down the people who wear the uniform in my district and all around this country, and you're far more interested in what your perception is and how people think about you in insider Washington books than you care about winning, Gentleman's which this group has is incapable expired. of doing. When he finished, a female congresswoman, I don't even know what phraseology to use anymore, a birthing person, elected from a marginal district in my home state of Pennsylvania, admonished the congressman. She was a buffoon. Now, what about this book? What about it? Congressman, no, I don't have time. All right, we have one minute. When we come back, if we don't have time in the next segment, I'll do it next hour. It's very important with Congressman Banks questioning Mark Milley about the book and so forth. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. I would encourage each and every one of you who haven't participated yet, please go to Amazon.com or any bookstore out there, actually, and acquire your copies of American Marxism and hand them out. We need you. We need you in this fight. The fight this week, the fight next week, it's taking place at the local, state, and federal levels. This will all make sense once you've had an opportunity to read American Marxism. It'll galvanize you. It'll help you rally others as well, and we need to do that. This book needs to be read by a million more people. So I'm counting on you. I'm not on the Sunday shows. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. We're not promoted by the New York Times and the Washington Post. No. So it's up to you, the Levinites, the patriots out there, to jump in now, both feet. Acquire copies of American Marxism. If you don't want to read it, you can listen to it in two different forms. But I believe it's essential. And you can look at the over 15,000 five-star comments on Amazon.com. There's never been a book like this, ladies and gentlemen, and I want to strongly encourage you to jump in. Now, we need your help now, before this November. Some of you folks who are kind of sitting on the sidelines and saying, you know, this American Marxism, I'm tired of hearing about this book. I, all I can do is encourage you to jump in. And I strongly believe that once you start to read this book, you'll get it. You really will. And if you can get this to members of your family or colleagues, friends, people in your neighborhood, in your churches or synagogues and whatever social organizations you belong, it's going to make a difference. And if it just makes a difference with a few people, that is massive. We're not going to win the battle of the media. It's not going to happen. What happens is we push our pamphlet out. This is our modern day pamphlet. American Marxism. This is a no-holds-barred book. And it's the most unique book I've ever written, and I think it'd probably be the most unique book you've ever read. And so I encourage you now, don't put it off any longer. If you're able to, if you can, I get it. If you're able to, acquire copies to distribute. American Marxism. I'll be right back. He's here. 
now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, There were three books during the course of uh, the past three months that came out that were highly critical of President Trump, written by one, two, three, four, I guess five or so reporters. And I'm not even talking. And, and then if you count peril... That's four books. Four books by so-called journalists. More to come. In every one of those books, General Milley spoke with the authors. He knew they were doing hit jobs on Trump. He knew they were doing hit jobs on his administration. And he spoke to them anyway. Is that the job of the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? To be talking to authors, reporters who he knows are writing hostile negative books on Trump? Well, he was questioned about that in part today. Cut three, go. And by the way, this is by Representative uh, Jim Banks, Republican, Indiana. Go. General Milley, why is it important for the military to be non-political? I think an apolitical military is critical to the health of this republic. Uh, General, why, why did you spend, you've already established yesterday and today, you spent a significant amount of time talking to book, political book authors and political reporters, including Bob Woodward. What compelled you to do that? I believe that part of my job is to communicate to the media what we do as a government, what we do as a military to explain. This is so preposterous. So utterly dishonest what he's saying. Go ahead. So I do interviews regularly. With We're not talking about doing interviews regularly. We're talking about hit jobs by known journalists who hate Trump from Trump-hating news organs participating in that. We're not talking about doing TV interviews and other things about the role of the military and so forth. Just look how, how sleazy this guy is. I don't know how else to put it. Go ahead. Books. Uh, documentaries, videos on TV, uh, TV interviews. It's, I think it's part of a senior official's job to be transparent, and I believe in a free press. You believe in a free press? This has nothing to do with a free press. You can keep your mouth shut, and that doesn't endanger a free press. The problem is you don't keep your mouth shut, except when it really comes to people trying to pin you to the wall for your own actions and the consequences of them. Go ahead. When a military general becomes a political figure I have you would done my, dan- you, you would agree that's dangerous I think it's dangerous and I have done my best to remain personally apolitical and to try to keep the military out of actual domestic politics and I made a point of that from the time I became the chairman and yeah well you failed miserably didn't you go ahead you told us yes you told uh, the Senate yesterday you hadn't read the the book or any of the other political books that have come out but I don't know how anybody could read the Bob Woodward book. I don't know how you could read it and not be greatly embarrassed about its contents, especially in what, how it's related to you. Are you embarrassed by the book? I haven't read the book yet. Um, Are you I embarrassed will. by the portrayals of the book? No doubt you're aware of them. Embarrassed? No. I'm concerned that there's uh, 
mischaracterizations of me becoming very politicized as an individual and that it's my willingness to become politicized, which is not true. I am trying to stay apolitical, and I believe I am. Oh, so that's why you did an interview with Bob Woodward, because everybody knows he's apolitical, right, Mr. Producer? And the other hacks from the Washington Compost and the media, that's why you did interviews with them, because you wanted to be apolitical. You didn't have to respond to any of the inquiries, General. You knew exactly what the hell you were doing. You were trying to create a narrative, and you were trying to, to create a legacy for yourself. Go ahead. And I'm trying to keep the military, the actual military, out of actual domestic politics. I think that's do you, critical. Do you regret speaking with Bob Woodward? No, I think that it's important for me to speak to the media. Cut four. Go. The book also goes on to, in talking about the January 6th riot. It says that you told Bob Woodward that you wrote in a list in your notebook of groups that you personally believe were responsible for the attack and that you associated with it. Quote, and you call these, these groups, quote, domestic terrorists or this domestic terrorism. That list included in your notebook, according to Bob Woodward in your con- from your conversations with him, Nazis and Oath Keepers, but it also included two conservative media outlets that you listed in your notebook, including the Epic Times, which, by the way, is a news outlet that was founded by critics of the Chinese Communist Party, and Newsmax, which is the second most-watched conservative media outlet in the country today. Do your notes about January 6th reference both Epic Times and Newsmax as on a list of domestic terrorists? I'm not recalling this conversation at all. It's in, I, it's in the book. It, it may be in the book. I haven't read the book. I'm not recalling a conversation about Newsmax, Epic Times. You have a that. notebook that lists Newsmax and Epic Times as domestic terrorists as recounted by the Bob Woodward book, Peril. I or is no, Bob Woodward lying to us in the book? I, I don't know. I, I don't recall any conversation about Epic Times. Do you Newsmax. believe that Newsmax and Epic Times are domestic Terrorist or their no, viewers I think, or readers no, are I domestic terrorists? No, not at all. I don't think Epic Times nor Newsmax are domestic terrorist organizations. Will you produce any they notes are, to this committee I'll produce uh, that any you relayed to Bob Woodward in the book that you listed different groups that are responsible for January 6th? Sure, absolutely. So this raises an interesting question, ladies and gentlemen. Is the book Peril a Fraud? And I've been asking this question now for two weeks. Because Bob Woodward has a seriously... I'll put it this way, bumpy track record. First, they sit on their supposedly breaking stories for months. Months! And if true, they're clearly newsworthy. And they're clearly relevant to the lives of military personnel. Or is this just a scam? I suggest it's both. Now, Bob Woodward and this guy, Robert Costa, have sold about 200,000 copies of their book in the first week. They are number one on the New York Times bestseller list this week. They were on all the Sunday shows. They were all over the news shows. Their book is being waved around, passed around. And yet, with all that, First week sales of American Marxism were about 400,000, Mr. Producer. Twice as many. And without big tech. And without all the rest of this. So the question is this. Should this book be number one on the nonfiction list or number one on the fiction list of the New York Times? 
Because General Milley has just contradicted, at least in part, what's in the book. Now, Adam Smith, who is a left-wing reprobate from Washington State, he had this to say. Go ahead. This time has expired. Uh, I will just note for the record that I was quoted in that book as well, and a lot of what I said was conflated and not 100% accurately portrayed. It, it does happen. Just because someone says something doesn't mean that it is an accurate portrayal and doesn't even mean they're lying. It could be a misunderstanding about what was actually said. This guy's a real a-hole, isn't he? Okay, so now that's another person who's saying that he was not accurately portrayed in the Woodward Costa book. That's two. Are there others? What a crap book. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, Stuart and Kathy Scheller are scheduled to come on. They're the parents of Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, who, unlike four-star General Milley, head of the Joint Chiefs, put his career on the line. Spoke to the American people with his own words, with his own face, with his own name on social media through several videos demanding accountability. This lieutenant colonel has more guts than those three generals combined, in my view. And now he's sitting in jail. A good friend of mine, Larry O'Connor, who does the morning show on WMAL, I caught a piece of this as he was talking to General Keene, who was a guest on his morning program. And he said to General Keene, I don't understand. Why is Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller in the brig for violating the command structure and speaking out? But Lieutenant Colonel Vindman who was in the United States military, serving on the National Security Council, really a Biden guy, he spoke out. He undermined the chain of command. He was celebrated. He wrote a failed book, by the way. How come he wasn't sent to the brig? Brilliant point. Vindman not only walks, he's celebrated, he gets a book, he's paid off with his book, some kind of guarantee. He's paid for his comments, for his observations. But Stuart Scheller's in the brig. General Keene did acknowledge that was a pretty damn good point. I'll be right back. Mark Stuart and Kathy Scheller are the parents of Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, who, as I speak, sits in the brig. Uh, Schellers, uh, first of all, welcome to the program. Secondly, I'll bet you never imagined such a thing could happen to your son, did you? Oh, no. Th- thank you for having us on, first off. We appreciate it. My great pleasure. Wanna... Mark, Mark, we appreciate you and your audience, and thanks for having us on. No, we oh, and, and wildest we, dreams. Just a moment. We want to really thank the American people because they have really stepped up. Like it's been amazing, and we just wanted to, before anything else, get to thank you out there. You bet. Go ahead, Stu. I um, 
was just responding, Mark, the fact that no, we uh, we have been Marine parents for 17 years, full of pride as we watched our hero, our warrior, uh, go through the ranks of promotions and higher and greater uh, uh, responsibilities and and our wildest dreams. We never thought we'd be here, but you know what? Um, we, like our son, will step up when we need to. And what what is, I mean, this is extraordinary. I mean, to put your son basically in jail. Um, well, yeah, the, the brig, trust me, is jail. It's jail. It's prison. You look at this Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who undermined uh, his chain of command, who undermined President Trump, who spoke to the media, who was celebrated by the Democrats, celebrated by the media, came out with a book, um, failed book, but nonetheless. And then you look at what's happened to your son. It's kind of hard to square the two, isn't it? Very hard, very hard to square. And and he knew what he was doing. He knew he was taking a risk. He is in the military, and he knew he knew what the risk was, and he was willing to take it. I don't think he really thought it would go this far. I'm sure he didn't think it would go this far. Um, I think he was surprised that other military people didn't stand up with him, but he also understood why they didn't. Um, once he went there, there was no going back for him. He, he had to take it all the way. And obviously he was, he was driven um, or motivated uh, because of the, what he saw, what the American people saw, which was an absolute disaster in Afghanistan and the fact that these, these generals were not taking responsibility for what they were doing, correct? Absolutely correct. And, um, you know, we've been asked, was this brewing? Was this planned? Was he plotting? And I'm going to tell you absolutely not. He watched on August 26th at about 5 p.m., the same time the rest of us watched it, the 13 service members that lost their lives at the Kabul airport. And by the way, I'd like to thank the parents and the spouses of those fallen heroes. I'd like to thank them for their contributions and I'm sorry to them. But when our son watched that like the rest of us did and watched the mistakes made and the lack of accountability, something in him snapped. And by 10 o'clock-ish that same night, he hit the send button. You know, uh, back, uh, you know, Mark, I, I, uh, you know, I'm 63 years old. Uh, when I've had stress, uh, I maybe will open up a journal and or I'll go see a therapist. But uh, today... Uh, it's very easy to hit the send button. And once he hit that send button on social media, there was no going back, like Kathy just said. And But but he didn't do it just for these 13 members. He did it for all of his active duty Marines that were asking why and why are we doing this. He did it for the thousands of veterans that have been wounded or or their families that lost their veterans asking why 
and was it all worth it? So he fell on his own sword, and he was willing to throw it all away, and he did throw it all away. They stripped everything, yes, even his freedom, his ability to speak and his freedom. We will not even be able to get a phone call from him for two weeks from a possibility two weeks in the day he was incarcerated. Um, they're they treating him like a uh, like a mass murder. Actually, they treat mass yeah. murders better than this. Does he have yeah. competent counsel? I believe so. He yeah. is a 40-year-old Marine, and he picked his own counsel in case it came to this. And I, I believe they, they are good. Um, that's just not my area. I, you know, what can I say? I, I think they're on top of it. And, and as of today, um, it's a little breaking info, they're going to... Um, Bring him before the court tomorrow for his, what is this, do RIO? Yes, (laughs) Yes, his initial hearing. And they slapped 640 pages on his attorney with less than 24 hours notice today. They're trying to set him up, aren't they? Oh, there's no question. They, Mm -hmm. for the last 30 days, uh, have pressured, bullied, intimidated Tried to make him look bad. It's, tried to make him look crazy. It's disgusting. And they, they applied pressure just to try to see if they could get him to snap. And he did get in a couple of rages, but he, you know, got himself back under control um, just because he was so frustrated. And I have to, I have to point out here, he served for 17 years, and for 17 years we've seen lots of presidents come and go. We've seen lots of things happen. And any time his dad and I wanted to talk to him about this. What do you think of this president? What do you think of that decision? He would say, I serve at the pleasure of the president. I do not get to have an opinion on the president. The so president him, is my commander-in-chief. He is my commander-in-chief. And, and he has never, ever said a word, ever. So it had to resonate very deeply with him for him to finally say enough. Can I ask you to stay over the break, please, uh, so we can continue this conversation? Yes, sure. sir. All right, we will continue with Stuart and Kathleen Scheller. Their son, Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, is in the brig as I speak. We will be right back. Mark within the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. We're here with Stuart and Kathy Scheller, the parents of Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, who's sitting in the brig. We're doing pretty much what Millie did. Millie spoke to a number of Washington Post and other reporters for their books. They were all anti-Trump. And the difference is Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller was up front. He wasn't anti-anybody. He was talking about the disaster in Afghanistan because he was concerned about the lack of accountability while it was taking place. And I would argue that uh, General Milley, as the head of the Joint Chiefs, his responsibility under federal law is that he reports to the Commander-in-Chief and the Secretary of Defense. He has no command and control authority whatsoever. He's to advise them. And I suspect he never told the Commander-in-Chief he was talking to reporters who were hostile to the Commander-in-Chief. And he doesn't serve in the brig. He is celebrated on many news shows and media platforms. Stuart and Kathy, I want to ask you a question. Number one, do you folks need to raise any money to defend your son? 
we, yes, we, we, we are. <laughs> uh, go ahead, Stu. Well, uh, uh, you know, people have, we've had thousands of people asking, how can we support? Uh, number one, our son chose Eddie and Andrea Gallagher's foundation called the Pipe Hitters Foundation.org. And they can go on that site at Pipe Hitters foundation.org and at the top they'll find who they support and they'll find lieutenant stewart lieutenant colonel stewart scheller and they can donate there and all right so comment. just to be clear they're assisting in providing financial support for his representation is that correct for his representation for his family uh and we don't expect him to have you know a uh, a pension or healthcare benefits. We, we, I can tell you, my audience is patriotic. My audience is loyal to heroes. My audience will help. So, Mr. Producer, Thank I you. want to put this on our social sites, and I want to announce it's Pipe Hitters, right? Pipe Correct. Hitters Foundation. Foundation.org. Pipe Correct. Hitters Foundation.org. America, if, yes. we can, uh, if we can help this family, we need to step in right now. Because I will tell I you this. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Go right ahead, sir. I also tell people to pray. Our higher power is listening and watching. I tell people to contact your congressmen and women and demand they stand up for stew and accountability. And I remind people to vote in 2022. Mm-hmm. You're not it's a kidding. a little late for our son, but please vote. Mm-hmm. Vote your conscience. But, folks, we're activists here. If we want to do something, we go to PipeHittersFoundation.org, PipeHittersFoundation.org. Do whatever you can to help uh, because he's facing the full wrath of the federal government and the Biden administration. There's no question about this. You know, you don't throw a lieutenant colonel, Marine lieutenant colonel, in the brig without that going all the way upstairs and them knowing about it, do you? Do you, Shellers? There's no way. It's interesting, though, yesterday... In the Senate hearing, when Secretary Austin was asked about Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, he acted like he didn't even know who he was. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, well, that's pretty scary. They all do this. They play rope-a-dope uh, from the I top know. down. But I guarantee you Millie knows who he is, because Millie's very politically involved, very politically attuned to what's taking place. And he, in my personal well, he's opinion... probably talking to reporters yeah. and book writers now about him, huh? You, you would guess. Um, what happens now? Do we know? We, we don't know. We have not been able to speak with him since the day he was incarcerated. He got a two-minute phone call to tell us, to ask us to call his lawyer. And then he said, Mom, tell everyone, everyone. And then the phone was taken away, and that was it. You know what? We have been prepared Holy that Michael. this is going to be, we've been prepared that this is going to be an ultra-marathon and not a sprint. And you know what makes me most sad and angry? I have a lot of pride, well, first of all, for America, as well as the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. I've supported them for 17 years. These generals have cost so much credibility to the Marine Corps based on their actions, not only on the botched credibility, but Mm -hmm. how they have treated Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. I mean... There is no reason that he should be in the brig. There's no reason they're cutting off his phone calls. There's no reason for any of that. There are ways to address this if that's what they want to do. 
without doing this sort of thing. Uh, it is rather extraordinary. I've never heard of anything like this. And uh, oh, yeah. he was just thrown in, and and they're claiming that he has to be in isolation because of COVID. So he's um, in solitary. I, I think so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How would I know? I, I'm not allowed in there. I'm not allowed well, to speak to him. But that kind of says so it all, I, doesn't it? It says it all. They they told me he couldn't have a phone call or a visit. He, he could possibly in in two weeks, but. Then they have limited ability for visitation because of COVID. So, you know. What state is he in? What state? He's in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Camp Lejeune. In the Brig. Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Uh So this is how we treat our 17-year warriors that fought for our freedom, fought for our sons and daughters, we throw him in jail because he spoke truth to power. These are the same generals who left American citizens in enemy territory. They're the same generals who left patriotic Afghans who fought by our side in enemy territory. They're being slaughtered as I speak, those Afghans. And, of course, uh, in this case, in the case of Milley, the same general who was leaking to hostile media against the then commander-in-chief. Uh, We have a huge problem in this country, starting from the commander-in-chief on down. Uh, It's infected every aspect of this culture, unfortunately, including the top ranks of the military, the FBI, and on and on and on. But you folks, you focus on your son, as I know you will, and uh, you have my producer's number. I'll make sure you do. And as things evolve, I want to know about this, because my grandfather was a Marine, and he fought at Iwo Jima, and he fought at Guam, and my great-uncle fought at Guadalcanal. We have a very close, uh, you know, feeling for the United States Marines, and I still do. This isn't the United States Marines. It's a few people who are calling the shots. I and, agree. And I, and I want to thank agree. you. I know you're going through hell. Just hang in I there and know that just know millions of us are with you. We're asking the American people to find your voice and from the top of your lungs demand accountability and to free our son. And we thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. And the outpouring of love has just been so great. And uh, But it's you. not enough. I, I have to... My son is sleeping in a jail cell. Yeah. And I want everyone to keep this on their mind. I've never thought of this in America. But I'm wondering, is he a political prisoner? Mm-hmm. I don't right. know the definition of that, but that's what I want people to think about. Well, we know he's a prisoner, that's for sure, and that's bad enough. All right, Kathy and Stuart, I want to thank you. And Mr. Producer, make sure we keep in touch and keep track of what's taking place here. God bless you both. Take care. Thank you so much. That's pipehittersfoundation.org. Hitter singular, I'm sorry, pipehitterfoundation.org. Pipehitter. Look, you can go to at Mark Levin show getter or at Mark Levin Show uh, Parlor. Mr. Producer, you can link to it on your sites if you understand what I'm saying. All right? So we want to get it out there. Any support you can give this family, let's give them maximum support, please. He gave us 17 years of his life, and we know he's being targeted. They didn't do this to Vindman. They didn't do it to Vindman. Millie still has his job, despite what he did. We know what this is all about. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
know you'll do your best to help that family because they need help. They need support. A friend of mine sent me this KTAR news. That would be Arizona. Arizona Democratic Party threatens to censure Senator Kirsten Sinema. The Arizona Democrat Party leaders are putting pressure on Senator Kirsten Sinema to back filibuster reform in order to pass voting rights legislation and support Joe Biden's spending plan. The state committee approved a resolution Saturday to hold a no-confidence vote if she fails to fall in line with their demands. So they're blackmailing her. The resolution says the party could potentially censure Cinema and withhold its support when she's up for re-election in 2024. Here's the thing I would tell Cinema and Manchin, not that they would listen to me. Why don't you switch parties? You know, it wouldn't be the first time in Arizona. It wouldn't be the first time we had a Democrat senator. His name escapes me. He's a good guy. He's a Native American, and then he switched. He said, you know what? I don't need this. And he switched. And a number of people have switched in West Virginia. Old-time Democrats, they said, well, the Democrat Party doesn't represent me. They became Republicans. Cinema and Manchin should flip. They don't need to be blackmailed like this. This Terry McAuliffe has always been a sleazeball, bagman for the Clintons. Uh, he's a nasty guy. He's a pathological liar. He's also sort of a, uh, a clown. He was governor for one term in Virginia. It was disastrous. And then he, he wanted to be governor again. You can't have two consecutive terms. No governor has ever run again for governor, even after uh, the period of time when they could. But Terry McAuliffe obviously was so uh, ingratiated with himself, he decided to do it. And he knocked off I believe three African-Americans in the Democrat primary, including two who were women. Because diversity only goes so far in the Democrat Party. He's in a debate with Glenn Youngkin last night. And Glenn Youngkin is running a very good campaign as long as he keeps focused and, and ties McAuliffe to Biden. And he's running on issues like uh, tax cuts, opposition to critical race theory and genderism and things of that sort. He's clearly a, a sort of a moderate Republican, I would argue. But Terry McAuliffe is a radical kook. And I'll prove it to you. Here's the de- part of the debate last night. Cut 14, go. I believe parents should be in charge of their okay. kids' education. Mr. McAuliffe, 30 seconds. <laughs> so first of all, this shows how clueless Glenn Youngkin is. He doesn't understand what the laws were because he's never been involved here in helping Virginia. But it was not. The parents had to write to veto bills, veto books, Glenn, not to be knowledgeable about it, also take them off the right, shelves. That. Do you even understand what he just said, Mr. Producer? He's illiterate on top of everything else, McAuliffe. Go ahead. I'm going to let parents come into schools and actually you take books out and make their own decision. You vetoed it. So, yeah, I, so he said there, I'm not going to let parents go into schools and actually... Uh, make their own decision. You hear that? Go ahead. The bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Well, what's the purpose of a school board? What's the purpose of attending a school board? What's the purpose of all these schools? We pay for them. We send our kids there. We're supposed to just turn them over to the radical thugs and the teachers unions and to their political movement and the Democrat Party. See, here's the problem. 
And I hope the people in Virginia are listening, particularly those who voted for Biden. I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your genitalia is. I don't care where you live in Virginia. You just heard what the man said. You parents, you spawn these children. You love these children. They're your flesh and blood. You send them to school. You expect them to get a quality education without all the politics, without all the perversion. And Terry McAuliffe is saying, too damn bad. You have no say in this. None. Because I need the teachers' unions. I need the thugs at the precincts on election day. And that's where they'll be. But he wasn't done. Cut 15, go. All right, here is an ad that Young can put together. Cut 15, go. We watched parents so upset because there was such sexually explicit material in the library. I decided to check the titles at my child's school. Both of these books include pedophilia, graphically describes engaging in fellatio with male minors. You vetoed the bill that would have informed parents that they were there. Yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. I'm Glenn Young, candidate for governor, and I sponsored this ad. And it is so awful in Northern Virginia that at one meeting, a parent pulled one of the books that are being used for little kids and started to read from it, and the school board was obviously troubled by it. There is explicit perversion, sexual perversion, in these school books, in these books. How the hell does that happen? Terry McAuliffe will never question any of this. He's bought and paid for by these thugs. He's bought and paid for by this mob. He will never go against them. He's in Biden's back pocket. He will shut down small businesses. He will raise taxes. He will attack the Second Amendment. This guy's all in. Is this what you want, Virginia? So people are already voting in Virginia and others who will vote on Election Day. This comes down to a very simple proposition now. Whether or not your children are going to be taught in a way that you as parents and taxpayers want them to be taught, or a way that Terry McCullough, the teacher union thugs, and the radicals with critical race theory and genderism want to teach them. If you don't stand up, you're going to lose your classroom, you're going to lose your kid. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Just to show you, McCullough, the bagman for the Clintons, but a sleazeball he and the Democrat Party are. They're very afraid about potentially losing in Virginia. And even Axios, a left-wing site, says Dems Sneaky Sabotage, a group tied to prominent Democratic strategists, is posing as a conservative outfit to try to drive a wedge between the Republican candidate for Virginia governor and his core voters, Axios has learned. 
During the past week, Virginians have been targeted with ads on Facebook, Instagram, Google, and Snapchat questioning Youngkin's commitment to the Second Amendment. They're the work of a new political group called Accountability Virginia PAC. Its website says nothing about the individuals or organizations behind it. This is how the Democrats do it. They are a sleazy, diabolical operation. Well, the NRA backs Donald Trump. They refuse to endorse Glenn Youngkin. We can't trust Glenn Youngkin on our guns, one of the ads says. Public records show the PAC has spent more than 25000 on the ads, which have been viewed between 1 and 5 million times. While clearly designed to hit Youngkin from the right, all indications point to Democrats behind the PAC. Accountability Virginia's online donation page is hosted by Democratic fundraising platform ActBlue. Its bank account is Amalgamated Bank, a labor union-owned financial institution popular with Democratic political groups. The PAC was incorporated in Virginia by compliance consultants at the MBA, MBA Consulting Group, which works uniformly with Democrats. Its ads on Snapchat were purchased by Gambit Strategies, a firm founded this year by the Biden presidential campaign's digital director, former head of Democratic Super PAC Priorities USA. Fake information is prevalent on the Internet, Gambit's website warns. Research shows time and time again the best way to combat false negative information is to provide people with positive information about a candidate. Neither Gambit nor an MBA consulting responded to Axios' request for comments. Dirty tricks. I'm surprised they haven't tied Yunkin to uh, the Russians yet. Dark money. Dirty tricks. The Democrat Party. Truly repulsive. I hope Virginians are paying attention to what's going on here. That Terry McAuliffe does not believe that parents should have a say in the curriculum and in the books or in the lesson plans for their children. Period. The union should. And parents need to pay attention to this because they're pushing critical race theory. Where depending on your skin color, you're either in or out. Which is really sickening. And they're promoting truly perverse books. I mean, with grotesque descriptions of oral sex and so forth. Is this what you want from your government schools, ladies and gentlemen? I'm talking about you taxpayers, too, who aren't parents at this point with kids in school. They get to make all these decisions? Is that how this is supposed to work? Kamala Harris was at George Mason University, also Northern Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia, yesterday. And she praises a student who accused the state of Israel of genocide. And she praised the student for telling the truth. Now, she's married to a Jewish person. But it doesn't matter. The Democrat Party is increasingly anti-Semitic. I don't care how many of my fellow Jews are members or voters of the Democrat Party. This is a fact. And the fact that they're ignorant about this really is appalling. And this is exactly how it went. Hat tip New York Post, cut 16, go. But then just a few days ago, there were funds allocated to continue backing Israel, which hurts my heart because it's 
an ethnic genocide and the displacement of people, the same that happened in America, and I'm sure you're aware of this. And I bring this up also because of the issue of how Americans are struggling because of lack of health care, public health care, lack of affordable housing, and all this money ends up going to um, and funding Israel and back in Saudi Arabia and whatnot. And I think that um, the people have spoken very often in what they do need. And I feel like there's a lack of listening, and I just feel like I need to bring this up because it affects my life and people I really care about's lives. And this is just something that has to bring up. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. And again, this is about the fact that your voice, your perspective, your experience, your truth not be suppressed hmm shouldn't she have said that Israel is not involved in ethnic genocide and the displacement of people but she didn't because that's too hard for a Democrat today it's too hard this is the vice president of the United States now who is this young lady what is her background we'll never know I think I know, but we'll never know, actually. Our colleges and universities are opened to Marxists, to students from all over the world, and they're increasingly radicalized, as are your children who attend these schools. But there's Kamala Harris who says absolutely nothing in response to this. Nothing. I told you I've got a lot to get to, and I'm not going to get to most of it, but I do need to keep rolling here. The CDC. What's happening here is the American Marxists are taking every single institution and destroying them. They're weaponizing them against the individual, against your liberty, against your unalienable rights. Whether it's third grade, whether it's our libraries, whether it's our borders, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And so the CDC, which is supposed to be focused on traditional science and, and health care, uh, obviously believes it can get involved in whatever it wants. Landlord-tenant situations and, of course, guns. And this is from our friends, thepostmillennial.com, another great website. CDC implements gun violence study after naming it a public health threat. So I find American Marxism to be a public health threat. Maybe we need to investigate that. After CDC Director Rochelle Walensky announced in August that gun violence was a, quote, public health threat, that agency has now implemented a new plan to study it. Now, they're not intending to study it, ladies and gentlemen. They're intending to come up with a propaganda piece in order to advance their attack on your liberty. The CDC has undertaken a new study that would dig into how often a person is injured by a firearm in the U.S. They will discover what kinds of weapons are involved, how they're used, the causes between the shooter and the gunshot victim, and the underlying causes of those altercations. See, the CDC is a massive bureaucracy, and what it's very poor at is health and science. Very poor at it. CDC has undertaken this study. I swore to the president of this country that I would protect your health. This is clearly one of those moments, one of those issues that is harming America's health, Walensky said. In April, President Joe Biden said that gun violence is a public health epidemic. You see how they are, the big lie, the propaganda, repetition. Once the data is gathered, it will be parsed by the CDC to determine what actions they should take to tackle that violence. 
There is an endless assault on your liberties. All of them. It is endless. Your unalienable rights, the Constitution's limits on people like this, the government, are constantly under attack. And we're losing. This will allow doctors and epidemiologists to potentially identify trends and craft swift interventions as they have done to contain the coronavirus pandemic and other national health emergencies, wrote National Pubic Radio. Of course, a mouthpiece for all this. Timely state and local level data on emergency department visits for non-fatal firearm injuries are currently limited. The collection of near real-time data on emergency department visits for non-fatal firearm injuries overall and by intent can support states. So they're going to start gathering more information. They're going to compel more information to be provided so they can track more people and steal your liberty. These CDC noted that these efforts will provide state and local health departments around the nation. Which they weren't ready for this pandemic. They didn't even have masks. Certainly didn't have ventilators. <coughs> Excuse me. If it wasn't for Donald Trump and Operation Warp Speed, we wouldn't have these vaccines. So they don't do their job. They'll do anything but their job. The funding was previously stopped in 1997 by Congress, but was restarted under the administration when Congress passed spending bills, setting aside $25 million for the CDC and National Institutes of Health. According to the CDC, there were 39,707 firearm-related deaths in the United States in 2019. That's about 109 people dying from a firearm-related injury each day. And so, you see, gun control is the answer. Because all the people with illegal guns or people who shouldn't have guns, all the perpetrators, the criminals, the would-be criminals and so forth, somehow they're going to comply with a CDC edict and regulation. While they're already killing people in violation of the most onerous criminal laws against murder. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Can you find a single area, ladies and gentlemen, which the Democrats are promoting individualism or liberty? Any area whatsoever. No, because they don't believe in it. Carl, Dallas, Texas, XM Satellite. Carl, how are you, sir? Mark, thank you so much for taking my call. You are the great one. Uh, I'm 39 years old. I was born and raised in the city of Orange, California. Uh, I live right down the street from Chapman University. I play baseball at uh, uh, Irvine. We used to beat the crap out of Irvine. I know your son went to Chapman. Um, Long story short, Mark, uh, me and my family, we moved from California to Dallas. Uh, We saw what was coming uh, with with the communist state of California. And, uh, Mark, uh, you know, first of all, it's an honor. I've read every single one of your books. I'm 39 years old. Uh, You're a patriot. What's happening to Lieutenant Colonel Chauvin is an absolute disgrace. I, I've never served in the military, and the reason why I called you, Mark, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect, I'm not a perfect man. You know, like I said, I'm 39 years old. I have a lovely wife. I have a two-year-old son. 
Um, and I feel like our voice, people like just hardworking Americans, I feel like our voice is not being heard. Well, we and, need to rally around this cause right now and provide them with the help that they need. Because this is right in front of our face. And for Millie to get away with what he did, and McKenzie, and Austin, and Biden, and all the rest of them, and that guy Kirby, I'll never forget that mouthpiece over there at the Defense Department. And for Blinken, and for his mouthpiece, Price, and for this guy, uh, Sullivan, who should be charged too, with, with, along with that, that lawyer, uh, Mark Sussman, in my opinion, to see what they've done. I mean, this, this uh, lieutenant colonel, he doesn't have anybody's blood on his hands. He didn't make decisions that resulted in the death of 13 of our heroes. And God knows how many thousands or soon to be tens of thousands of other human beings in enemy territory now. These generals and this president have made our country much, much weaker. Much, much weaker. This lieutenant colonel dared to speak out and say we need accountability. That's effectively what he said. And so they throw him in the brig? Yes, sir. They throw him in the brig? He can't even take calls from his parents? What kind of crap is that? It's unbelievable. Well, Carl, I want to thank you for your call. Do not hang up. I want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism, and I hope everyone within the sound of my voice is getting their copy as soon as they can. If you have a copy, give it to somebody else. We've got to fight. This is what it's going to take. They will do anything. Anything. You can see it even in the race in Virginia for governor. They will, there's no depths to which they will not sink for power. Period. Claudia, Long Island, New York, the great WABC. Claudia, how are you? Yes, hi, Mark. How are you tonight? Okay, thank you. I'm a long-term listener, long-time thank listener. Thank you. I go back to um, Bob Grant, um, Michael Bob Savage, Grant. and uh, even the late, great Michael Savage. Oh, Used to be on the radio also. And, uh, of course, my favorite, Rush Limbaugh. And yeah. um, I How can I help in. you? Yes, Kamala Harris, when she was running as a candidate for the 2020 election, had made a comment on stage uh, that the um, gun violence is a national health crisis. And immediately I thought, she's going after the Second Amendment. So now we get covid and that's everything is under the auspices of we have a health crisis, so we have to mandate this and that and the other thing. And, and I just feel that... Um, Here's the problem. When they take a piece of tyranny, it create, it takes, when they drag us through a piece of tyranny, it creates precedent for the next and the next as they ratchet it up and ratchet it up and ratchet it up. So everything's on the table. We don't have a rule of law. The Constitution has no consequence. Uh, there's double justice. You know, we're going to go after January 6th. But, of course, uh, Liz Cheney says absolutely nothing about BLM and Antifa and all the violence and all the rest that took place there because she's a nut. She's become a nut. Claudia, don't hang up. We're going to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Thank you. Let's keep rolling. I think we shall. Let's go to Bill Hunter, South Carolina, XM Satellite. Go ahead. That's Sumter, South Carolina, not Hunter, but okay. Um, well, I read what he wrote. If it's Sumter, we know what happened at Fort Sumter, don't we? Yeah, except I'm up near Shaw Air Force Base, up in the center part of the state. All right. I have kind of a beef with the whole thing that's going on with the lieutenant colonel. 
Go I ahead. agree with it, and I don't. Yeah. One, he's in confinement because he disobeyed a regulation. Sir, everybody who disobeys a regulation isn't thrown into the brig, now are they? I actually spoke to a general about this, a friend of mine, today. He said this is extraordinary punishment. It, it is, sir. But he also, but as an officer, he knows that he is not allowed in the official capacity of his job. So why is he in the brig? Uh, unfortunately, that's the Why break. is he in solitary confinement? I don't agree with that part, sir. And what about Millie? He's in the chain of command, too. He can talk to enemies of the commander-in-chief who are writing books attacking the commander-in-chief. That's okay? No, sir. I don't think he should be able to do it either. Well, how come he's not in the brig? Uh, you know that answer as well as I do. What about Vinman? Remember Lieutenant of... Colonel Vinman? Remember him? Yes, sir. Sure do. Remember how he undermined the commander-in-chief? How he was vetted and celebrated by the media and Congress, and he wrote a book all about it? How come he's not in the brig? See, people are sick and tired of this, this double-edged issue where, where certain people are punished and severely punished and other people are celebrated. Sir, I'm well aware of that. I was military myself. and I'm Okay, pretty, well, we're not going to just sit by and watch it. I'm civilian. Frustrated with the situation being pressed that anybody in the military would even be willing to take that risk. That's all right. He took the risk. He assumed something would happen. But to be thrown in the brig, I don't think he would have assumed that. Nobody would have. All right, sir, do not hang up. We're going to send you a copy of American Marxism. I'll be right back. Levin says today what the backbenchers will repeat tomorrow. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. I will be on Hannity approximately an hour, 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time on the Fox News Channel. Not sure the subject yet, but I'm ready to roll, baby. There is a really quite a good piece in the uh, Right here, exposing. Let's see, where is this from? The Free Beacon again. Biden banking nominee, proud recipient of Collegiate Lenin Award. See, Biden's people around him are the, these American Marxists, and they keep populating the bureaucracy, various commissions and so forth, with the Marxists. President Joe Biden's pick, writes Chuck Ross and Colin Anderson, of the, for the nation's top banking regulator, top banking regulator, received a scholarship name for Vladimir Lenin and praised the Soviet Union for paying the sexes equally. Yeah, they paid him nothing. Biden last week nominated Salui Amarova to lead the Office of Controller of the Currency, which regulates national banks. Amarova in 2019 praised aspects of the Soviet Union's economic system, calling the lack of a gender pay gap a huge achievement and an example of a flaw in capitalism. A native of Kazakhstan, Amarova graduated in 1989 from Moscow State University, where she received the Lenin Personal Academic Scholarship, according to her resume. 
Now, if this resume crossed your desk and you're working for a president and administrator, wouldn't you immediately shred it, Mr. Producer? They say, wow, we have a new control of the currency right here. Amarola is already facing opposition from the financial services industry over her proposal to end banking as we know it, quote-unquote. A proponent of stricter bank regulations, Amarova has proposed a banking system that relies on individuals rather than banks to hold bank accounts with the Federal Reserve. She said that a radical change to the system would make it more inclusive, efficient, and stable. Yeah, Kazakhstan. Amarova teaches at Cornell School of Law and worked in the Bush administration's Treasury Department. Go figure. Go figure. She later obtained a doctorate from the University of Wisconsin, a law degree from Northwestern University. Well, she went through the indoctrination mill. In addition to tougher bank regulations, Amarova supports numerous progressive proposals, including the multi-trillion dollar Green New Deal. She's also called for the creation of a massive government bureaucracy that she calls the National Investment Authority. The authority would have a congressionally approved governing board in regional offices across the country. In addition to developing roads, bridges, other traditional infrastructure projects, the authority would fund affordable housing, public transit, clean energy projects, as well as climate change mitigation solutions. Her policies have won her accolades from prominent progressive lawmakers. They're not progressives, they're Marxists. Senator Elizabeth Warren said Amarova's nomination was tremendous news. How sick is that woman? Elizabeth Warren. The Sierra Club said Amarova would help the Office of Controller of Currency fight against climate chaos. See, these aren't just liberal groups anymore. And set up guardrails against Wall Street's risky fossil fuel investments. Amarova did not respond to requests for comment. Of course not. Mark, how dare you call this the uh, American Marxism? Because that's exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. Let's go to David Greenville, South Carolina, XM Satellite. David, how are you, sir? Great, and I just want to say thank you for promoting conservatism. Lord knows this country needs it more now than at any other time. I just want to make a statement. Every soldier knows the motto, mission first, people always. The senior leaders of this military have not only failed in accomplishing the mission properly, but they have not protected the people the way they should have. And on the comment with Lieutenant Colonel Shearer, I think this is an absolute atrocity. He realized the failure of senior leadership to do the very thing that is instilled in every soldier from the lowest ranking non-commissioned officer to the highest ranking persons in the country. But that motto is throughout every branch of military service. I personally serve. I personally put that into action at each duty station I was assigned to. And I just feel like this has got totally out of control. I encourage every conservative person to realize the importance of the upcoming elections in 22 and 24, and let's stop this train before it does go off the cliff. And you're exactly right, and it is 
a sickening irony that the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff was a leaker to hostile media that dis- that despised the then Commander-in-Chief. And he's celebrated by the media, by the Democrats, and all the other buffoons. Meanwhile, this lieutenant colonel is in the brig. David, please don't hang up. I want to send you a copy of American Marxism, signed. You hear me talk about Josh Gottheimer, because I know Josh Gottheimer. I don't know him personally. I've met him once or twice. I just know he's a fraud. He votes for Nancy Pelosi. He votes for impeachment. He votes down the line. And every now and then he picks a subject to show that he's willing to negotiate and he'll win a few things and then he can say, look how victorious he is because he, he pulls the, the uh, curtains over the eyes of the people who live in his district, Bergen County, up there in suburban northern New Jersey. But he's a fraud. He's an absolute fraud. He just voted to raise the debt ceiling. Pay attention, everyone, particularly in Bergen County and the environs to December 16, 2022, with no cap. Is that what you think should happen, New Jersey? No cap on the Democrats, or any spending for that matter, in, in Washington, D.C.? Because the so-called moderate, Godheimer, just voted for that. And here's what he had to say on CNN today. Cut 20, go. Everyone is working around the clock, including Senator Sinema, on getting it done. And she was at the White House yesterday. Obviously, I wasn't in that meeting. Uh, and all I know is that great progress was made, and we're going to keep working today. Now, here's but the again- thing, ladies and gentlemen. Great progress was made, says Godheimer. This country belongs to you. I know Terry McAuliffe doesn't believe it. Godheimer doesn't believe it. None of them believe it. These things are supposed to happen in committees so you and I can observe them, so we can get accurate reports on them. So we can tell our members of Congress what we support or not. This is an entirely inside game. Entirely an inside game. And Gottheimer is perfectly happy with that. Go ahead. Doesn't mean that these are two separate pieces of legislation. You don't hold up and not vote for an infrastructure package that's historic once in a century that will help fix everything from water to broadband to... No, actually, uh, less than half of it actually goes to infrastructure. So there he is, deceiving his own constituents. Go ahead. A tunnel between New York and New Jersey. You don't hold that up and hold it hostage while we're working on another piece of legislation. We're going to get both done. But I'll tell you, it just doesn't make any sense to me that you have a faction of, of folks in my party that would blow up the president's agenda, refuse to vote on infrastructure as some sort of way to hold up progress. 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 Gottheimer says, we'll get that second bill. We'll work it out with all the outrageous socialist Marxist programs that are caught up in there. Sure, of course. God, I told you, Gottheimer, just give me 90%. Gottheimer says, I'll vote for it. Then I can tell everybody what a fantastic moderate I am. He's not a moderate. He's a fraud. And he's not alone. He's not alone. He hasn't taken a gutsy vote yet, this guy. I'll be right back. Lovin. Well, let me let me take some more calls here, should I? Let's go to Rick, Phoenix, Arizona, XM Satellite. Yes, Rick, how may I how may I help you, sir? This is Mark Levin. Yes, sir. Okay. 
I, I'm wondering why you think the Republicans aren't willing to compromise with Biden in any way, shape, or form. Why should they? Why should they? What should they compromise on? Critical race theory? Open borders? Massive tax increases? There, there are a lot of things Pay attention, in- I'm educating you. Redistribution of wealth? Violating separation of powers? Packing the Supreme Court? Nullifying the, uh, the Electoral College if they can? And nationalizing our voting system? Tell me, what should the Republicans compromise on? The Republican Party was founded as an anti-slavery party. They never compromised on slavery. They're not going to compromise, I hope, on tyranny. I don't believe in Marxism, sir. I don't believe in undermining the Constitution. What's the compromise about? What's the compromise for? What, he hang up, Mr. Producer? Did he? Okay. I wouldn't compromise. The goal now is to defeat them. Compromise? This is a party that won't even negotiate. This is a party that's trying to break the rules in order to impose their will. This is a party that's trying to destroy all opposition whatsoever, that supports censorship in, in, uh, in working with the big tech. What is there to compromise on if you believe in liberty and individualism and the Constitution and unalienable rights? If you believe in capitalism? If you believe in sovereignty and a secure border? If you believe in a sound dollar? If you believe in energy, independence? If you believe in a military second to none that's not abused but used properly? If you support law enforcement and law and order? What's to compromise with? Ladies and gentlemen, our position isn't a position to compromise. We are embracing our founding. We are embracing our institutions, our traditions. What's the compromise on? You don't compromise when people want to destroy your country in every aspect of it. They never compromise. That's why he hung up. He's a coward. Coward. Let's continue. Dan, Rogers, Arkansas, the great Karn, K-A-R-N. Dan, how are you, sir? I'm fine, Mark. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Go for it. I was a JAG for uh, 31 years in the Air Force. I'm retired now, retired as a Brigadier General. And I've never seen anything like this type of pretrial confinement. We don't have a bail system in the military. Um, so we have a pretrial confinement system where a military magistrate um, presides over a hearing and they decide uh, whether to put somebody in jail or not. Normally, the uh, a pretrial confinement or not. Normally, uh, you only see pretrial confinement when someone is a uh, is a violent offender uh, or, or is likely to flee or likely to reoffend, or is, um, I mean, I've just never seen anything like this. And I've, I've, uh, you're the I've, second general who's told me this, by the way. Okay. But this well, is your area. You're, you're a JAG. You're a retired brigadier general in JAG. You've never seen anything like this. The gentleman I spoke to said, I've never seen anything like this. But I'm not, I'm not crazy, right? This is very bizarre. No, this is unusual. This is, a, this is a case of someone who doesn't know what to do, uh, and they can't figure I, – I guess the only thing I can figure out is they want to shut this guy up, and they couldn't figure out any other way to shut him up than to put him in pretrial confinement. 
Now, I have a lot of confidence in the military justice system, and um, there are remedies for for this kind of thing. I mean, it, there's not a way that I know of to to get him out of jail other than to uh, other than to uh, petition a court and all of that. And he's going to have a defense counsel that's representing him that that will be able to. Uh, to what, what do you make of solitary confinement? He can't take phone calls. They drop 640 pages on them the day before the hearing. This is all intended to make it incredibly difficult for this man, right? Obviously. Right. It it does. I've never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing. You did this for a long time, right, General? Thirty-one years as a JAG. Uh-huh. And uh, and a JAG, you retired as a brigadier general. Right. That's a big deal. All right. I want to thank you for your service, and I want to thank you for your edification. That is very, very important for us all to know and hear. I want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism. Thank you, sir. I'll be on in 30 minutes, 9.35 Eastern Time on Hannity. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I'm counting on you, those folks who haven't jumped in yet. We need your help. Get your copies of American Marxism as fast as you can. Spread the word. The battle has begun.